Good morning. Come on now. Good morning. morning. There you are. I knew that you were out there. The lights are a little low in the audience back there, so I can't see you, so I had to hear you. So thanks for answering back. Um, I want to invite you to open up to Genesis chapter 37. You remember last week we started the series, um, this brand new series at the end of the story in chapter 50, and now we're kind of rewinding and coming back to Genesis 37 verses 1 through 11. Today's our second Sunday in a new teaching series uh, examining the Old Testament character named Joseph, not to be confused with Jesus's stepfather, um, but uh, instead the Old Testament character uh, that, uh, that came just before Moses. So the title for our series is Not So Average Joe. We talked a little bit about that last week and where that came from. Uh, in this series, we're going to see that God chooses average and ordinary people, and he is super faithful to do in us what he needs to do to um, accomplish extraordinary things for God's glory and the good of God's people, like through our lives. And so I don't know where you um, are in your relationship with God or in your life right now, but um, I'm sure that there are some that think, you know, uh, I'm not sure that I could ever really be used of the Lord at least to do significant things, to do things that would honor him, that would change the world, that would impact other people's lives. But I want to tell you, that's exactly what God saved you to do. It's exactly um, God's plan for your life. And so uh, we're going to see through a picture of this man's life, uh, some of the ways and things that God does and some of the um, paths that God takes uh, people on so that they might um, become and uh, be shaped into the people that God wants them to be. So um, we're excited about it. Um, we kind of gave kind of an overarching statement for the whole series last week, and I'll uh, add, tweaked it a little bit this week, but um, I want to restate it again here at the beginning. You know, God saves, transforms, and prepares ordinary people to do extraordinary things for His glory and the good of His people. So that's the big idea. If, uh, if you were here last week, you remember that we opened up and we began the series at the end of the story. We uh, saw that Joseph um, eventually became a ruler in Egypt. Um, and Egypt at that time basically was the empire that ruled the known world. And uh, when a famine came through, uh, Joseph predicted that. He helped prepare the people uh, in Egypt for that and really ultimately was instrumental in providing food and, um, for, for people all over the world um, during this season of famine. So Joseph made this um, significant impact in the world, but not just uh, in the world, but also uh, God used Joseph's life to um, encourage and prepare, um, to encourage and provide for um, God's people and to sustain the promise that God made to um, Joseph's great-grandfather Abraham many years before. And so the Lord used Joseph's life in, in some astounding and extraordinary ways. In the end uh, of the story, we also find a man with great character. You know, if you were to examine his life, we talked about this a little bit last week, we would see that Joseph is a man who was completely submitted to God. You remember from last time that he had great power, that oftentimes people in a position like him saw him as God, them as God-like. But in the text, Joseph said, you know, am I God? No, I'm not God. And so he saw God as God and followed hard after the Lord. 
We saw that Joseph in the end of the story was a guy who had over his life gained God's perspective, an ability to, in spite of his feelings towards his brothers and what they had done to him, God had redeemed much of that in him and he was able to see God's perspective and kind of walk in God's perspective and God's will and God's way in spite of what he had been through. Another great mark of maturity and character uh, for a person who's a follower of the Lord. And then he was willing to serve brothers who did him really bad um, or younger in life. We'll talk about th- that story next week. Pastor Augustine's going to come and speak on, uh, on that story um, of tragedy in Joseph's life and difficulty. But God was able to use um, Joseph in the lives of the people who did that bad thing to him to serve them, to protect them, to sustain them and their children and their grandchildren and really generations moving forward. So you have this man of great character. And uh, in the end, uh, we have an extraordinary man who was instrumental in the world and in, God, in God's redemption story. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, when my time's over and I stand before the Lord, uh, you know, I, I know what I was like at 17 years old, but when I stand before the Lord in the end, my hope is that, that God will say, well done. And not just kind of general blanket, but let, like that I will be confident that the Lord was so faithful to me and, and I was faithful to the Lord that I'll be able to stand before the Lord and the Lord will affirm that, man, I'm just the, the kind of person that God wanted me to be, that I shed it, all the things that God wanted me to shed and embrace all the things that God wanted me to embrace and that I made the impact that God uh, created me to make and live the life that God made me to, to live. And uh, that's my prayer for our church as well. God has a plan for you. He has uh, intentions for the different parts of, of your story and as it unfolds. But he wants to use you for his glory and the good of his people. And so that's what this series is about. We're, uh, we're exploring his life. You know, if we're going to title today's message, you know, last Sunday we talked about a little bit about where, where Joseph came from and the, his people and the dysfunction of his family, especially his father. Uh, today we're going to talk about Joseph in particular. And uh, so if we're going to title today's message, I would say something like this, God chooses the most unlikely of people. That God chooses the most unlikely of people. You know, as a kid, Joseph uh, probably wasn't the first one picked to play basketball. He wasn't the one winning the awards. He wasn't the most liked. He wasn't chosen in high school in the back of the yearbook as the most likely to succeed. As a matter of fact, like when I see Joseph's life in Scripture, especially in this particular text, I see kind of the opposite. Um, That's what makes Joseph's story so awesome. Uh, Such a great story for us is that God took this guy who was the 11th son. You know, I don't know about you. I'm a firstborn. Uh, There was a point in my life when I walked into the room uh, where my grandfather was, and I uh, don't live in the same city as everyone else, and my grandfather said, Mike, in front of my siblings, my favorite grandson. You know what I mean? I don't know if any of you have ever had that experience either in my shoes or in everyone else's shoes, but it's awkward, you know? But Joseph, he's the favorite son, but he's the 11th son. So it's sort of this weird thing. But um, he's definitely the most unlikely. Last Sunday, we toured the stories that come before Joseph's story. We learned that his family was a mess. We learned that, he li- that, they, that his people lied, they cheated, they fraternized, they manipulated their way through life, and they were still God's people of promise. Um, and we learned that uh, Joseph is kind of the same. He's got issues and problems as well. If you had asked Joseph's brothers and sisters about Joseph's future, 
they probably would have said that they didn't have a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of hope for him, weren't holding out a lot of hope for him, or didn't have high uh, anticipation or expectation for Joseph's life. But God, you know, God chooses the most unlikely to be used for his glory and the uh, good of his people. So let's dig into the text. Write this down. It's our first point. These are going to be super obvious points today. They're, uh, they're true on their face. They're things that I think we agree with, but this story helps to solidify them. It helps them kind of sink into, uh, into our hearts for just a minute this morning. You know, God, God chooses sinners. Sinners. Um, look with me uh, at beginning at verse 2. The text says, Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring uh, the flock with his brothers he was a boy with the sons of Bilah and Zilpha, his father's wives, and Joseph brought bad report of them to their father. So there's a couple of things here. We're going to work through the next few verses and kind of see some of Joseph's sin. But um, first line, we see that Joseph's a 17-year-old kid, and he's carrying a job. Good job, Joe. Right? Um, at 17, he's got a job. Now, I had a job at 17. As a matter of fact, I had a job at 15 working the window at Burger King. Now, that doesn't sound like a super exciting job. I was, uh, truthfully, it was one of the first times that I've ever been exposed to anything remotely cross-cultural. I grew up in kind of a monocultural, um, like, home and community, and I, I began to work at Burger King, and I was the only white kid, and nobody would say it was a diverse workplace. You know, only diversity was the fact that I showed up and uh, made it a little more diverse than it was. Um, but let, let me tell you, like, that's, that's kind of a rabbit, but let me tell you, like, just because I had a job at 15 and just because Joseph had a job at 17 didn't mean it was necessarily, it was necessarily a mark of maturity, right? Um, for me, I had all kinds of issues at home, and I'm thinking, I'm going to get a job so I can escape, and I can put a little um, dough in my pocket so I can take girls out on dates, right? I mean, that was my motivation. Um, for Joseph, he grew up in a place where if you didn't work, you were in big, big trouble. And so his, his situation was probably more self-preservation, but don't, from the very beginning, like assume, okay, we got Joe, he's out keeping the sheep, he must be a great, upstanding, um, upright young man. No. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, the opposite is true. He was there because he had to be there. He was a, I was a punk kid serving hamburgers, and uh, Joseph was a punk kid keeping sheep. Um, the text continues. He was a boy with Billa and Zilpha's um, sons. These are his father's wives. So just to give you a reminder from last week, you remember that uh, Joseph's father, Jacob, had children with not one, not two, not three, but four women. And uh, two sisters, one that he chose, one that was kind of thrown on him, um, and then um, one was his favorite, one was one that he didn't really think a lot of, and um, one was his father's favorite wife, and then two of them, the ones that are mentioned, are his are his dad's wives' um, servants who became his wives. And it's kind of this confusing story, but um, basically his two wives were having a, um, a jealousy-motivated jealousy like baby-making contest. And so they, he had two wives, then he took their two servants' as wives, and he ended up having um, 12 sons, one daughter mentioned, but probably 10 or 12 daughters too, they just weren't mentioned, and tons and tons of babies everywhere. This is, who, this is Joseph's people, who, is who he comes from, and now he's grown up with these, 
these young men, and he's out keeping sheep with them. He's 17 years old, and he has a serious maturity problem. So we see in the text, this first couple of verses, that Joseph's a tattletale. Do you notice that? Um, and that's honestly being really nice. Um, there's, there's other words you could use in place of tattletale here. Actually, my preparation notes, my preparation notes aren't notes that you can typically preach. They tend to be like just pretty raw. But I had another set of words here that I would have much rather used for Joseph that um, it's probably more in line with him being a pot stirrer. You following with me? Like Joseph is the guy who is just kind of stirring the pot constantly um, with his brothers. He, uh, he's a tattletale. He's a pot stirrer. He, uh, he's always creating problems. He uh, likes to pick on people. He's the kid that's kind of like, and everybody's like, leave me alone. Go to your room. You know, it's like, that's Joseph. He's kind of creating a bit of a problem. I see a little bit of Joseph in each of my, my own children if you want to know the truth. You know, I, we won't say who, but I've got some who are just always like picking in certain ways, then others that are kind of poking in certain ways, and then some that react and some that, you know, and it's just always this kind of pot that's stirring. But imagine that all kind of self-contained in one kid. That's Joseph. That's him. And uh, getting kicks at his brother's and I'm sure his sister's expense. And uh, not sure why, he did this. Maybe he felt inferior because he was the 11th son. Maybe he felt superior because he was the father's favorite son. Maybe it was his way of getting some attention. Maybe he just enjoyed um, making his brothers crazy. But regardless of the motivation, this kid loved to stir the pot. Anybody in here know somebody like that? Anybody that person? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm sure that there are some in the room. So next the text says, now Israel, now this is a little bit confusing because we skipped over the name change story, uh, but basically Joseph's father, Jacob, gets renamed and his name is Israel. And so at the beginning of our text today, it says Jacob, Jacob a couple of times, and here it switched, back, switched over to Israel. And it says, the text says, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because his son was of his old age. Now, uh, this is appropriate announcement moment. Like the baby that we announced some time ago is a boy. We found out that this past week. And it is indeed a son of my old age, you know. So uh, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen with this, with this kid. I'm definitely not in a position to say that he'd be my favorite because that, that would be a little bit weird. My other kids are here. But we'll just pray against the pot stirring because we got enough of that going on at the Tipton house. But, um, but it's the son of his old age. And uh, Israel, the text says, that next line says, and he made him a robe of many colors. Now, um, in Bible study this morning, Krista Griffin came up to me and she said, I, I, I watched that um, Technicolor. Um, yeah, and she said, I can't get that out of my mind in this story. So I don't know what you have in mind. I don't know if it was like the Sunday school, like felt board, like picture of the kid in like a multicolor robe. Maybe it's the picture from the Jesus Storybook Bible. But uh, no matter what it is, um, this is a pretty happening robe. It's, uh, it's nice. It's eye-catching. It's, it says, this is my favorite son. It's, uh, it's pretty great. And so, um, you know, he's the favorite son. It's not really something he could help. Uh, but it definitely had an impact on, on his life. Um, in Joseph's case, the text says that Jacob actually um, made this robe for Joseph with many colors, that, and it, that it was unique, that it was expensive, that it was eye-catching. You know, 
Dad didn't help Joe out so much here. When people saw Joseph coming, even from a far distance, they knew it was Joseph. You know, there's Joseph in his, in his, in his jacket. There's the favorite son. There's the one, you know, kind of in a mocking voice. Um, you can almost imagine Joseph strutting in. I kind of think uh, of a peacock when I think of Joseph. You know, he's got his robe on. He's sticking his feathers out. And he's like, I'm here. You know, that's kind of the image that I have of Joseph when he comes into the room. Every eye fixed on him. Here's the favorite son. It's the way he liked it. Um, if you look up cocky in the dictionary, there's Joseph in his, in his jacket, in his uh, robe. And then you get to verse 4. But when his brothers saw that the father loved him more than all the other brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now, hate that's pretty strong. You know, my, my, my crew at our house, every once in a while, like we'll serve something at dinner that they don't like. And somebody will say, I hate broccoli. You know, fill in the blank, whatever it is. Well, they don't hate it. Now, they might argue with us about it, but they just don't like it. Or we'll see a car drive down the street and it's one of those really obnoxious ones. Have you, anybody else noticed that most cars these days are like gray and black and white? Like 15 or so years ago, they, they actually made cars that had colors on them. And now if you have a car that has colors on them, everybody has an opinion about it. You know, if a car that's green comes rolling down the street, they're like, ooh, I hate that car in green. Well, they don't mean that they hate it. They mean, I really just would rather be boring like everyone else. I mean, I've got a black car too, so, and a gray van. You know, so I'd like to be boring like everybody else and drive something black or gray. And uh, so they just don't like the orange one or the green one or the whatever, the blue car. But hate, that's a strong word. We tend to throw that thing around loosely. I'm like, you know, I hate broccoli. But that's not what it means here. Like when it says that they hate their brother, they actually hate him. They don't think, oh, there's, there's Joseph. We just don't like him so much. He's a little annoying. No, they hate him. They wish he'd never been born. They would like to see him die. They think, what a wretched human being he is. How arrogant is this brother Joseph? How annoying is he? I hate him. Like they actually hated him. The text also mentions that they never, it, it doesn't say they rarely, it says they never spoke peacefully to him. Can you imagine growing up in a house like that? I'd probably be a little annoying as well. In order for my own sanity, I think at times I would make it into a game. You know, because my brothers never spoke peacefully to me. Can you imagine living in a house where there was never a moment of peace? Never a conversation of peace? And most of it sprang from the, from the character and the, uh, the content of the relationship that Joseph brought to the table. So, you know, Joseph's a sinner. The text also meant, um, now consider verses uh, 5 through 11. This is the, the rest of the text. And, you know, there's a lot of sermons on these dreams we're going to kind of get, make a 100,000-foot um, uh, observation of these dreams rather than get into the particulars of them. But Joseph had two dreams. One was about his brother's sheaves bowing down to his sheaf. A sheaf is basically ripe grain that's been harvested and bound together, and it's, it's ready for transport. So in the dreams, in the dream, the brother's sheaves are, in a, I'm imagining, maybe in a big circle, and Joseph's sheaf is right there in the middle, and um, the brother's sheaves are bowing down to Joseph. And um, 
the assumption is that they're worshiping him or that they're, they're begging for mercy or who knows, but um, they're bowing down to him in honor and homage to the brothers. And uh, we got Joseph basically showing up and sharing the dream and, and he's bragging about it. Hey, I had this crazy dream. I was a sheep and you guys were sheep and you all, you guys bowed down to me. Now for us, like we have a dream and it doesn't typically mean anything to us. We have a dream and we're like, Hey, you wouldn't believe this crazy dream that I had. And so we bring that to this story. We think, Oh, he had a crazy dream. He shared about it. He was a little cocky, but in their mind, they often, often in their culture, they believe that dreams meant something that they had strong implications for real life. And so um, Joseph shows up and he's basically saying, I had this dream and this mess is going to happen. You guys were sheaves. I was a sheaf and you bowed down to me in my dream. Can't wait for that one. So you've got all this context of dis- discord and dislike, hate, struggle, uh, the pain of relationship. And here comes old Joseph showing up telling about his crazy dreams. Then the second dream rolls around, and it's about the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowing down to Joseph. Same song, second verse. And Joseph's brother's are like, this kid is nuts. And even Joseph's father gets in on it. Joseph's father's response to this is, what? Now, this is the Matt Tipton paraphrase. Are you crazy, son? Like, why are you sharing this dream? Like, if you had it, treasure it in your own heart. You're only creating problems for yourself. Your brothers already hate you. Like, come on, man, just hold on to it. Maybe the Lord will do something. Maybe the Lord won't do something with it. But keep it to yourself. Are you really saying that, that I and your mother are going to bow down to you? And so there again, you can kind of picture Joseph kind of uh, snickering in the corner. Like, ha, yeah, this is going to happen. God's, God said it. It's going to happen. The text says in verse 8 that the brothers hated Joseph even more after these dreams. Verse 10 says that the father um, chastised Joseph. Maybe the first correction he'd ever received from his dad. Who knows? We see uh, from the story that these dreams that Joseph had, um, sharing them demonstrated a, a, a severe lack of common sense. Severe. Or at, at the very least... If we're going to be incredibly merciful to Joseph, he's completely unaware of himself, right? But I think that he's probably a little more aware of himself as much as a 17-year-old can be aware of himself. And I think he's just, uh, it comes from a place of malice. So we've got this, this kid. He's 17 years old. He's braggadocious. He's a know-it-all. He's a dreamer. He's a, ta- a tattletale. He's a pot stirrer. And he, has a, and he has a serious pride problem. When I look back on my life at 17, that's pretty much me. And I'm going to guess that if you look back on your life, that there are seasons and times in your life that you would describe yourself probably more in these terms than you would in the terms uh, at the end of Joseph's story. And for many, the person sitting in your seat today, you may see more of Joseph in this story than you see of Joseph in Genesis chapter 50. But there's good news. God chooses sinners. That's such good news. Now, this is a total side note. I thought about ways that I could work this into a point. But this is just commercial break. 
And uh, if you're a parent, just kind of lean in for a second. And honestly, I was sitting in Bible study this morning and put this on, in the notes in Bible study this morning um, because of some conversations that we had. Did you notice the very last thing that, uh, that the text says in verse 11 concerning Joseph's father? Do you notice that? It says the brothers got, were, were even more jealous. They hated him more. But the father kind of implies that he treasured this, this whole conversation or he considered it in his heart or he held on to it. You know, parents, uh, we're, we're talking about this sermon in terms of like our own selves and seeing the truths of God's word come into life in our own lives. But if you've parented for five minutes, um, you have probably had a desire for one of your children or for all of your children that hasn't been met yet a desire that honors God, a desire that relates to their relationship with God, a desire for their repentance, a desire for restoration, a desire, well, I just want to encourage you. See the end of the story. Hold on to, to Christ and trust, trust in Him. Go to the Lord in prayer and just hold on to the, on, on to the goodness of the Lord and, and, and let the Lord do the work. Um, get on your knees and pray that God would do a great work in, in the lives of your children. Because as we'll see, God... God, God did um, when we get down to uh, chapter 50. So totally not in the notes, but I just want to throw that in there. Write this down also. It's the second thing. You know, God chooses people with baggage in their past. You know, sin is one thing, but I wanted to get a little more like pointed on this. When, when we contrast Joseph at the end and we contrast him at the beginning, like, I'm sure there are moments when Joseph looks back on his life, and I'm sure that there are moments throughout his story. There's actually a moment he's sitting in prison. There's a whole sermon on this where he's left alone, and he's got a lot of time to think. Maybe it's that moment. But I'm sure that there were times in Joseph's story when he looked back on his story, and he wondered, you know, can God really use me? Can God really redeem all of this mess? Can God really take what has been written, what, is, um, what has happened, what uh, I've been through, this sin that I currently struggle with? Can God really take this big mess that is my life, this baggage that I carry around, and do something with me? You know, God works in the lives of, uh, uh, of those of us who are carrying around baggage from the past. Uh, as you'll see next week... Um, Joseph's pride got him into big trouble. It cost him everything. He's thrown into a pit. He's sold into slavery. He's victimized. He's lied about. He's thrown into prison. He's forgotten. And so much more. But God. But God. If anybody had an excuse not to be faithful, it's Joe. He could have blamed others, saying, that's my father's fault, or my grandfather's fault, or my great-grandfather's fault, or my brother's fault, or my mother's fault, or God's fault. But God, I don't know what you carry around. I'm not sure what your baggage is. I, I have a sense of my own. Um, I don't know what sins are hidden in the closet of your heart, what pains or what issues or what traumas are in your past. I don't know what you're dealing with right now that causes you to say, I'm not sure that the Lord wants to use this or that the Lord can use this or that the Lord will use this. But God, 
But God, rich in mercy, chooses sinners and He chooses people with baggage and issues and real struggles. And He steps in and He saves and He transforms and He prepares and He uses people for His glory and for the good of His people. This is incredibly good news. Now, listen, I want to pastor for just a second, not just preach. You, you sit, we're sitting in the room today, and we, we're doing what we always do when we gather together. We're hearing the truth, and it's hitting in us in our head, and a few of us are writing a few notes down, and, and it's living here. You know, it's kind of rattling around in there, and then by lunch, like 75% of it's kind of flown away, and there's a couple little nuggets that stick around, but it's sitting there, and like most weeks, it's, it's going to rattle around for a minute, and then it's going to be gone. The goal every single week is for the truths of God's word, for you to do whatever you can do for the truths of God's word to go from your ears to your mind and and seep into your heart to a place where you believe them. And listen, it's 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 easy for us to, and this is the reason I, we added this point today, it's easy for us to say just cognitively with our head, sure, God saves sinners, because we've been hearing that. That's, that's central to the gospel. If you're in a church that preaches the gospel, you know that God in, what, in Christ Jesus on the cross through his death and his resurrection, God dealt with sin, he gave forgiveness. Great. But oftentimes we sit in the seats in the worship center, we go about life in the church and we receive the gift of God's forgiveness, but the truth that our that God wants to redeem all of the the dark baggage and difficulties and the sins that are ongoing. Like we know that his blood has covered us and forgiven us, but God wants to redeem and heal and work in and, and be a part of all those little intricacies and all those little difficulties and all those little pains and all those little um, doubts and, and struggles in your heart and in your mind. And he wants to step in and he wants to see you become who God wants you to be. And he didn't just die on a cross and leave you alone. He sent his Holy Spirit and he gave us his word and he is actively at work in your life, in your heart right now, dealing with the past, dealing with the traumas, dealing with the sin struggles, dealing with the habits, and he's making you more like his son, Jesus. And even when you feel like you're in a dark hole and Jesus isn't there, the truth of the matter is, that's probably the moment that he's doing the be- his best work. Let me tell you, and we're going to have a whole sermon on that in a few weeks when, when Joseph's thrown in a prison and he's forgotten and God's doing his best work right there. Um, but God chooses people with baggage in their past. It's, and Augustine and I had this conversation after the sermon last week. Like, there's a lot of young adults in the church, and not even to the young adults, but everybody in the church in a lot of ways. There's a, young, a lot of young adults in the church. We, we struggle. I said we. That's funny. Um, pe- we struggle. People in the church, we struggle to embrace, um, embrace the transforming work of Christ in our life, in our own baggage, in our own struggles, in our own doubts, in our own habits. And uh, God's power is very real power in the, in, the, in the day-by-day practical realities of your issues. And he wants to do it through his word, through his church, and by his spirit, a great transforming work in your life. We're going to continue to deal with these things as we work through this series. But don't just broad brush sin and go, oh yeah, and kind of 
give it up as, a, as an agreement and move on past. Like pause for just a second and recognize that there is no sin, no struggle, no baggage, no, no amount of self-doubt, no sin that is great enough and powerful enough to keep the Lord, the God of creation, the one who, who died and rose again from, from stepping in and redeeming it all. And he wants to. He doesn't want to just have a, a, a moment, a, a but God moment. He wants you to live a but God life where every single day the Lord's stepping into, the, into your mess and he's doing a redeeming work. Um, this is very closely related, but God chooses sinners. God chooses people with baggage. But um, God also works in the lives of his broken people. So this, this kind of goes along with what I was just saying. In spite of Joseph's sins and Joseph's issues and Joseph's past, he's part of God's promised people. He's part of God's chosen people. He was a part of the people of promise. God made that promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that their descendants would become a great nation. And Joseph was a part of those people. And from a very young age, Joseph was told about the promise of God. And in spite of the dysfunction of his people, he was brought into the knowledge of God and told the stories uh, of his father, his grandfather, his great-grandfather. He knew God had promised, uh, had purposes and a plan for, for, the, for God's people, his people. And even during the most in, immature seasons, God was at work in his life, giving him dreams and glimpses of the plan that God had for his life. You know, this is key. This, this is how I want to distinguish this point from the others. You know, God doesn't redeem and transform and prepare those who used to be sinners. God doesn't redeem and transform and work in and prepare uh, people who used to have issues. God steps into the mess of your life and he, and he speaks and he puts his dreams in, in uh, his dreams for your life in your heart. Not when you're all fixed up, like we think, oh God, you know, when I get all this straightened out, you're going to show me. You're going to give me the dream. You're going to begin to guide me and direct me. No. If you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is there. The Word of God is available. And even in the middle of your mess, the Lord begins to speak to you. Do, do you see when the dreams started showing up? They didn't show up like in chapter 50. Certainly there were other dreams. There were other things that happened, other evidences that God was at work. But when did these, these dreams come? Now, he handled the dreams poorly. Let's give him that. But let's assume for a second that this is the voice of the Lord. Because what happens in the dreams happens in the story. And clearly he didn't understand all that was going to happen. He didn't have the full picture. But the Lord was beginning to work and whisper in the middle of Joseph's mess. Let me say it again. God doesn't work and redeem and transform and prepare those who used to be sinners or used to have issues. God steps in the mess of your life and speaks and puts his dreams in your heart now in the middle of your mess. If you're redeemed, his spirit is there. If you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, his spirit is there. His spirit is helping you see the truth of his word. His spirit is beginning to help shape the direction of your life. God wants to work in you right now as he is transforming you. He wants to speak to you right now as he is transforming you. You might be right now in the middle of a mess, caught up in the sin. 
that you just can't shed. You feel like, I can't get rid of this. It won't go away. You might right now be dealing with the consequences of your past. Some decision you made or some decision someone else made that uh, landed in your lap. Or maybe even something that someone did to you. Right now, you may be walking with pains and hurts, struggling to become and struggling to be set free and struggling to be ready. But friend, if you belong to God, just because life is a mess does not mean that God is not speaking. It does not mean that God is not revealing. It does not mean that God is not shaping. God is not transforming. In actuality, if life is messy and it's hard and it feels like a war, in the middle of your struggle, if you're in Christ Jesus, realize and recognize that God is at work. Trust because he's said he's there. He's at work. He's shaping. He's preparing. He's working the dreams he has for your life out into reality. Trust him. I think back over the course of like life as it's unfolded for me. And um, I feel like in some ways, part of what I was, this is confession, Augustine. Like I said, I want to do Joseph. And Augustine was like, oh, that'd be great. But where does that come from? That desire. In my, I have two or three characters in the Bible I like a lot. Joseph's one of them. Uh, I think that part of the reason I'm drawn to Joseph is because I, I see uh, some of Joseph's struggles and difficulties, and I'm so grateful that the Lord is at work in me in the ways that Joseph, God has worked in, in Joseph's life. And, uh, I mean, I don't even know where to start. I, uh, I remember, like, right after, after my family fell apart when I was 15 years old, and uh, I was just told somebody, I think it was the guys back here in the back, that I probably spent 10 years um, from, like, 14, 15 year old, years old to about my mid-20s. So I was just angry all the time just angry. And it was those young years where the difficulties and pains of life just, you're trying to walk by faith. I mean, I was a Christian. I'm trying to walk by faith, but I was immature and I, I wasn't seeing clearly and I was, I was mad and I wasn't casting my cares on the Lord. And I, I, I see that part of my story as this part of Joseph's story. And I, I look back and I, I, I actually was fired from a couple of jobs when I was young. And, uh, and I felt like, God, did, why, did you give up on me? You know, why have I been thrown in this pit? And then there was a series of temptations, some that the Holy Spirit like, did a great work and rose above all of those things and God gave victory. And some I failed over and over and over and over again until the Lord redeemed it. And there have been seasons where there were highs you know, you can imagine Joseph's like promoted to second in command in Potiphar's house. We'll talk about that soon. And I'm sure he felt, oh, that's great. And then he finds himself in prison like overnight practically. Like, I've had moments where ministry was way up here and then in an instant it was down here. Found myself going, well, now what? Where do I go? And in the whole thing, the Lord was, even when I couldn't sense him, the Lord was there. He was at work. He was shaping and changing and transforming. Even in the journey, like I see the water berries, like even in the journey of, of 
the church we planted, like coming into fruition, like the Hope Church part, and the difficulties of that. And there were seasons where it was like, yay, and there were seasons that were like, oh, and it was a lot of shaping for all of us that were involved in that. And we just see in all of our lives, if we work through the narrative of our stories, we, we see what has happened in Joseph's life unfold in our own stories. And some in the room, you're young and you're dealing with something incredibly difficult right now, but it's not as difficult as it will be later. And I think this is, a, this is an opportunity for you to see like that God is going to prove himself in your situation now, and then you're going to step into the next one with a little bit different faith because God is still at work, both then and in that next iteration of, of transformation and development. And so I, I say all that to say that I'm super grateful. Like the, the response this morning, I think, is one of worship and gratitude because I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful that the Lord t- took a sinner like me and is taking sinners like you, that the Lord is taking people with baggage like me and that he's taking people with baggage like you. And he's actively at work like now in the middle of the mess, making us into the people that he wants us to be for his glory and the good of his church. And so whether you're on the mountain now or you're in the valley now, like the big call today is God's at work. He's moving. He's changing. He's transforming. He's faithful. Hold on. He's going to do what he deems necessary to do to make you into the person that he wants you to be for his glory and the good of his church. So can we trust that? Cling to Jesus. Can I pray for us? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this story of Joseph's life. We thank you that it didn't start in uh, when life was all pretty. But instead, Joseph's story started kind of in a mess. Um, when he was young and he, when he was arrogant, um, when he was bearing the consequences of his own difficulties, when his faith wasn't sight yet. Um, Lord, uh, I know there's people in the room today who are dealing with difficulty and dealing with mess. Lord, I pray this would be a moment for them to, to come and bow at the altar or at the chairs and just cast their cares on, on, on Christ Jesus and declare that they will continue to fix their eyes on Jesus no matter how dark it is. Um, Father, I pray for um, those that are caught in, in sin, that are um, dealing with the difficulties of sin and trying to figure out how to, to conquer something, and they're doing it in their own strength, their own will. Lord, I, I pray that they would also cling to Christ today. They would cling to the Lord, to you today. And uh, they would trust you and they they would seek you for your power. And um, Lord, I know that there's also people in the room who are um, in church today and they, they know that they have never surrendered their lives and their will and their, their, uh, their life's journey over to, to Christ Jesus. And, um, Lord, I pray today would be a day that people would recognize that they're sinfully separated from God and that um, salvation is just um, a cry away. Um, 
Lord, I pray there would be some today that would cry to Jesus and they would embrace Christ for salvation and they would enter a journey where God is faithful to shift and change and transform them over time and to make them into the people that God, that, uh, God you've created them to be. Lord, save some today. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.